True gospel ministry should always be deeply personal. In my first pastoral role after college, I was taught just the opposite. The lead pastor of the church that we were at sought to mentor us, and he said, you know, pastors can't be friends with their congregation. And I think back on that notion a decade later, this idea, you're their pastor, not their friend, I can see a little bit better where it comes from. You know, we live in a culture where the choices for which church you attend are as varied as your choice of fast food restaurants. It's much easier for a pastor to keep the congregation at arm's length. If someone leaves your church, well, it's not personal, right? And this works both ways, too. The truth is, as often as members might change churches, pastors themselves probably change churches even more. And for congregations who are left behind again and again, it's no wonder that those congregations begin to adopt the mentality that gospel ministry is not personal. And before long, the local church becomes nothing more than a place where you shake hands with a few people that you kind of know, and you sing a few songs, and you listen to a message from someone who you feel doesn't really know you at all. And if this is all that gospel ministry is, then of course it makes sense that today most people just stop going to church altogether and listen to their favorite preacher online. Now this might be the dominant way that our culture thinks about gospel ministry, but let's understand this morning, that's not the paradigm that God gives us for gospel ministry. True gospel ministry must be personal. True gospel ministry must involve shared lives and open hearts. And on a day when several new families are joining with us as covenant members of Redeemer Church, we need to understand, church, that if Christ is going to be formed in us, then our gospel ministry to each other must be filled with personal gospel love toward one another. And we're in Galatians 4, continuing our series through Galatians called No Other Gospel. And this morning we come to one of the most personal sections in all of Paul's letters. Martin Luther commented on our passage, the words breathe Paul's own tears. In this passage, we see Paul fearing, pleading, reflecting, questioning, and agonizing over the believers in Galatia. Why? Because they're turning to a different gospel. And they're doing that to their own destruction. Over the last chapter and a half, we have been in some dense theological territory. Paul has been stacking up argument after argument, refuting this false gospel with scripture and theology. But now, Paul personally appeals to the Galatians from the depth of his own heart. Passages Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. Listen to the word of God this morning. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. 
I'm afraid I might have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. Here's my best attempt at summarizing the words we just read from Paul to the Galatians. I love you, and therefore I long for you to see that this different gospel is spiritually destructive. I love you, and therefore I long for you to see that this different gospel is spiritually destructive. And what we need to understand, church, is that any different gospel is spiritually destructive. Any so-called gospel that distorts the pure good news of salvation for sinners through faith in Jesus Christ leads to spiritual ruin. And we are not immune to these false gospels today. Satan constantly presents the church with destructive other gospels. Today we see believers fall prey to a Roman Catholic gospel on the one hand, to easy believism on the other hand, to a culturally progressive gospel, to a God and country gospel. Every one of these false gospels is spiritually dangerous. And so this morning, through Paul's heartfelt plea to the Galatians, we need to see three reasons why choosing a different gospel is spiritually destructive. Three reasons why choosing a different gospel is is spiritually destructive. First, choosing a different gospel is spiritually destructive because it is choosing slavery to false gods over a saving relationship with the true God. When we choose a different gospel, when we go to another gospel, we are choosing slavery to false gods over a saving relationship with the true God. Now, often in Paul's letters, he reminds the believers of their spiritual status before they believed in Christ versus their spiritual status after they believed in Christ. And he does this often to celebrate the work of God's grace in their lives. And this is how our passage begins today. Paul reminds the Galatians of their former life and their new life. And he does it by contrasting two different images. One is slavery to false gods and the other is knowledge of the true God. He says in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You see, there was a time when the Galatians didn't know God. Dan, you said this earlier, you didn't know God at one point. They, they were Gentiles. They didn't have God's special revelation in the scriptures. They had no true knowledge of their creator. And in their ignorance, they turned to false gods instead. They worshipped idols of their own making. And Paul says that this idol worship was a kind of enslavement. 
like a slave with a master that's impossible to please, the idols of the Galatians constantly demanded service and sacrifice to appease their wrath. The Galatians lived in this endless cycle of trying to please false gods. That is, until Paul came and proclaimed the good news of the gospel to them. Through the gospel, Paul says, Now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. This is really a precious verse. It holds out the preciousness of salvation to us. It might be a trite saying today, but it really is true. Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship, a saving relationship with the one true God. When the Galatians heard the gospel of Jesus and believed, Paul says that they came to know God. And he's not just talking about theoretical, abstract knowledge like you can gain in an encyclopedia because he adds, or you have come to be known by God. You've come to be known by God. Think about that phrase for a second. What does Paul mean, you've come to be known by God? Well, of course, there's a sense in which God knows everybody. He is, after all, omniscient. He's all-knowing. God knows everything there is to know about everybody ever. But those who have believed in Jesus have come to be known by God in a special way. If you're in Christ, then it means that God has set his affection on you specifically. It means that he has entered into a loving relationship with you. It means that he has set his heart on you, yourself. If you believe in Christ, then you have come to be known and loved by your creator. You have come to be known by God. The Galatians went from slavery to false gods to a saving relationship with the true God. And at this point, this is where Paul would normally say, to the praise of his glorious grace, I thank him for what he's done in you. But that's not what happens in Galatians. Instead, he says, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? How can you do that? You were slaves and now you know God and what are you doing? You're turning back? Set free from slavery, brought into a saving relationship with the one true God? Don't you realize what you're doing? Now, Paul's words at this point probably were a shock to the Galatians because from their perspective, they didn't think they were turning back. What does he mean we're turning back? We're not returning to the temples of our idols we're observing the law of the God of Israel. What do you mean we're turning back? Now Paul's making a radical claim in these verses, isn't he? By adding works to Christ, the Galatians were returning to idolatry. By distorting the good news of Jesus, they were going back to slavery. It looked different on the outside. They were observing the Jewish calendar now but they were returning to the same fundamental slavery of salvation by works. Let's try to consider a modern example, church. Say that you have an atheist friend who has been living a totally immoral lifestyle. You've been sharing the gospel with him, and the day comes when he repents of his sin and he trusts in Christ. However, a few years later, he tells you that he's decided to join the Roman Catholic Church how should you feel? Should you be encouraged by that? You, you might say to yourself, well, at least he's still professing faith in Jesus. I mean, he's, he's still living a better life than he used to, right? No. 
Paul could have said the same thing about the Galatians. On the surface, they weren't abandoning their profession of faith. They weren't returning to their pagan lifestyle. And yet, Paul says in verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. In other words, I'm afraid that you never believed. I'm afraid that you were never truly saved. To Paul, this different gospel is a matter of eternal life because a different gospel is no gospel at all. A different gospel is just as enslaving as ancient paganism. It's just as enslaving as secular humanism. Before you turn to a different gospel, understand this morning that there's only one way to have a saving relationship with the true God, and it's by faith alone in Christ alone. Anything else guarantees a lifetime of slavery and eternal condemnation. A different gospel is spiritually destructive. It's choosing slavery to false gods over a saving relationship with the true God. The second thing we see in this passage, choosing a different gospel is spiritually destructive because it is choosing spiritual blindness over spiritual blessedness. It's choosing spiritual blindness over spiritual blessedness. The personal nature of Paul's warnings in this passage become even more pronounced in this next section as he's reminding the Galatians of when he first came to them. He says in verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Paul's reminding the Galatians that when he came to them, he didn't come with all the external trappings of Judaism. He didn't come to them with a list of requirements for them to join God's people. Rather, like he says in 1 Corinthians 9, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law in order that I might win those outside the law. Paul became as they were when he came to them. He he came to them uh, not through the law, but he came to them outside the law in the freedom of Christ. And it's the freedom that he wants them to enjoy. He wants them to realize, I didn't come to you outside the law to put you under the law. I want you to become as I am. I want you to be free in Christ. And then he continues down this remembrance of when he came, and and he wants to remind them that when he came to them, against all expectation, they joyfully received him. And I say against all expectation because of how Paul describes his coming. Look at what he says at the end of verse 12 and going forward. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Let's just try to picture the scene. You're gathered with your neighbors at the city square, and a stranger walks to the center of the square and begins preaching. You can notice three things about this guy. One, he's a foreigner. Two, he's talking about a foreign god and a man who was crucified and resurrected. And three, he's, he's desperately sick. We don't know what his ailment was, but something's going on that, that, that makes him weak and, and sick, and it's a trial to those who are with him. So, so you're seeing this guy, and if you're honest with yourself, if that's you, the most natural conclusion would simply be to say, that guy's crazy. But as you listen to what this stranger says, something about it rings true. And though the easiest thing would be to turn away, you find that you can't stop listening. In fact, you're so drawn to what he's sharing about this foreign God and this crucified and resurrected man that you and some other neighbors invite him into your home. And you begin to take care of him at your own expense, also that you can hear him even more. 
you realize that this man's been sent from God with a message that you absolutely need to hear, and, and you're going to do whatever it takes to hear it. No matter how much of a trial his sickness is to you, you want to hear about this God and this man who was crucified and risen again, because something about it is ringing true to you. That's what the Galatians' reception of Paul was like. This is what Paul means by their blessedness. And what we need to realize is it's not like the Galatians were just the most hospitable people in the ancient world. No, this was the Spirit of God working through the Word of God to lead them to act like this. Timothy George explains it this way, Nothing in the character of the Galatians makes us think that they were naturally disposed to receive with gracious hospitality the sort of figure Paul portrayed himself to have been. No, it was the simple preaching of the cross in the power of the Holy Spirit that softened the hearts of the Galatians and brought them to a saving knowledge of the Christ Paul proclaimed. In, in other words, church, the spiritual blessedness that Paul is looking back on, that he received from them, it was the fruit of them hearing and believing the gospel. This spiritual bless, blessedness was not natural to them. It was the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit when they heard the gospel. But now look at the change that's taken place in verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? What a change, right? From joyfully receiving Paul in his sickness as God's ambassador, now the Galatians are setting themselves against Paul for speaking God's truth to them. Their spiritual blessedness has turned to spiritual blindness. Why? What, what could explain that total 180 in how they view Paul? And, and here's why. Because in turning away from the true gospel to a different gospel, they were operating once again by their flesh and not by the Spirit. And church, listen, our flesh will never listen to the truth if that truth offends us. That's not how our flesh works. Only the gospel can produce the humility that brings spiritual blessedness. False gospels, on the other hand, they reinforce our pride and they lead us to reject God's truth. If we turn to a different gospel, we are choosing spiritual blindness over spiritual blessedness. And we need to linger here for a moment because this, this might be one of the most significant ways that you will be able to tell if you're drifting from the true gospel. Let me give you a story and then give you a scripture. The story is not about one person in particular, but it does represent a number of people who at one point were members of this church, and they began drifting away. And in every case, before there was a final departure from the pure, true gospel, do you know what came first? A loving, truthful warning from the church family that they had once had joyful fellowship with. The path you're going down is dangerous. Turn back from that. We love you. We want to walk with you through this. Do you know what effect these warnings had? They turned this church into their enemies. We became their enemies by telling them the truth. And before long, they had indeed adopted a different gospel. What Paul is saying here is very real, church. It's happening then and there, and it happens now and here as well. Now for the scripture. I want you to see this for yourselves. Turn forward with me to Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. 
The Word of God tells us in these verses, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Church, do you know that your sin is deceitful? Do you know that your personal sin has a blinding effect on your heart? And the only way that you can keep yourself from being blinded by your sin is by hating one another's exhortations. This is God's design. You're blind, but others see. And they're called to speak into your life to tell you what is going on when you can't see yourself. This means first, we must love one another enough to exhort each other. This call to exhortation is given not to pastors and leaders only, but to the whole church. Every one of us is called to the personal, life-on-life work of exhorting others in our church family. And this also means, church, that if you have a brother or sister who does love you enough to speak truthful words of warning to you, by the grace of the gospel, listen to them. Receive them. If you aren't willing to do that, if you aren't willing to allow others who love you to speak the truth in love to you, then in all likelihood you have already begun turning to a different gospel. Turning to a different gospel is spiritually destructive. It's a choosing of spiritual blindness over spiritual blessedness. This brings us to the third reason that choosing a different gospel is spiritually destructive because it is choosing self-seeking leaders over self-sacrificing leaders. When you choose a different gospel, you are choosing self-seeking leaders over self-sacrificing leaders. As this section of the letter closes, the personal nature of ministry is front and center, but Paul's not looking first at his own ministry. He begins with the ministry of the false teachers. So far in Galatians, Paul has dealt exclusively with the content of their teaching. And if we were assuming the best, we might think that though their teaching was wrong, surely their motives were good. Could it be that these false teachers just fell into that category of they're they're wrong, but they're loving? Maybe they were in error, but their heart was in the right place, right? Well, not according to Paul. Look at verse 17. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. Now Paul's making some bold claims about the motives of the false teachers here. He starts with their actions. They make much of you. They they came into the church with an agenda to win the Galatians' hearts through flattery. They they have come into their midst through the pride-satisfying means of puffing the Galatians up. But Paul wants the Galatians to step back for a minute and see that this has been for no good purpose. There's been an insidious agenda underneath their encouragement. Why are they making much of the Galatians? They want to shut you out so that you may make much of them. You see, Paul says that underneath all the apparent encouragement of the false teachers is a self-seeking heart that wants to receive glory from men. Follow the logic of the verse. They're flattering the Galatians in order to influence them. They're influencing the Galatians to believe that they're shut out from God's people. And by convincing them that they're shut out from God's people, they will be the ones receiving praise as those who hold the secret to truly belonging 
You see, ultimately, the gospel distortion of these false teachers is not an innocent error made from a genuine heart. It's an intentional ploy made from a self-seeking heart. These false teachers don't love the Galatians. They love themselves. This is not unlike another false teacher who's been making news over the last few months. Andy Stanley is the pastor of North Point Community Church in Atlanta. He recently began affirming a different gospel that says LGBT lifestyles are compatible with Christian faith. Now, he does this in the name of loving the families of those affected by his ministry. He, he talks about how Jesus drew circles, not lines, and we need to be inclusive of all people. And on the surface, like the false teachers of Galatia, it's a message that makes much of his hearers. But to what end? It's for no good purpose. It is to the end that his ministry will be accepted by the world, to the end that his platform will grow, to the end that he will be praised instead of canceled. Now here's the thing, I don't know Andy Stanley. I can't see his heart. But most likely Paul didn't know the false teachers in Galatia either. You see, when it comes to false teaching, when it comes to false gospels, we don't need to know the teachers to know their motive. Why, why would that be? Because it's the same motive that every one of us has apart from the true gospel. We are all naturally sinners turned in on ourselves. We all want glory from others. We all use others to love ourselves. And it's only the gospel that can change us. So if someone's teaching a different gospel, then we can know that person teaching has self-seeking motives. They don't love you, they love themselves. True ministers of the gospel, though, those who preach of the loving self-sacrifice of the Son of God for our sins will have ministries and motives that are shaped by that sacrifice. True gospel ministers are not self-seeking. They are self-sacrificial. And that's exactly what we see in Paul. Look at what he says in verses 18 through 20. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul's saying, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong for someone to encourage you. I'm asking you to think about the why. Is this person flattering me for their own gain, or is this person genuinely seeking my good in Christ? As for me, that's my motive. That's what Paul says. More than anything else, this is what I want for you. I want Christ to be formed in you. That's what's driving my ministry, says Paul. This is the fundamental desire of all true gospel ministry, church. To see brothers and sisters made mature in Christ. To see Christ formed in the body. To see one another living lives of faith that reflect the glory of our Savior. This is what it's all about. And to drive home how much Paul longs for this reality in the lives of the Galatians, look at the picture he gives. I am again in the anguish of childbirth. Now, it's been quite a year here at Redeemer. We've had eight babies born this year. Yesterday we celebrated one more that's coming soon. So let me ask you moms, you know, how many of you would like to experience the anguish of childbirth again? That's about what I expected. And kids, always be thankful for your mothers. Now, of course, no one wants to experience that kind of pain, right? And, and yet, moms, if you found out today that you absolutely had to do it again 
in order to save your child's life, you know what? You would do it in an instant. You'd do it because you love your child so much that no amount of anguish would keep you from making sure that your baby was safe and healthy. That's the kind of love that Paul has for the Galatians. He's already done this. He has come to them. He has suffered for them. He has been persecuted for them to see Christ formed in them. He's already been through this, but he's willing to do it all again as long as Christ is formed in them. His sufferings show that he isn't in this for himself. He loves them and he longs for them to be found in Christ. And though they've turned away from him, he has not turned away from them. Though he's perplexed, he's not giving up. Though he's now their enemy, he will keep on loving them. And we need to ask, how can someone have that kind of selfless disposition? Only through the gospel. Only through the gospel. Paul could love them like this because Paul has been loved like this. When Paul rejected Christ, Christ did not reject Paul. When Paul persecuted Christ's body, Christ pursued Paul. Though Paul was Christ's enemy, Christ loved him and laid down his life for him. And in Paul, we see that the good news of Christ's sacrificial love for us produces leaders marked by sacrificial love. Church, this is the paradigm for true gospel ministry that we strive for at Redeemer. Because Paul gets personal, I want to get personal And I want to say this morning that I'm so thankful to the Lord for our lay elders who proved their gospel love by suffering on your behalf. By God's grace, these men don't merely care about doctrine, but they truly care about you, church. Over the years, I have walked with them as they, like Paul, labor for you, and they pray for you, and they fear for you, and they long for you, and they agonize over you, and they sacrifice for you. And I say this today not because they're anything. They're not anything, but because the gospel that bears that fruit is everything. Every other gospel ends in spiritual room, but this gospel alone brings transformation and eternal life. And so I too want to entreat you this morning from my heart, Redeemer, to set your hope on the gospel alone. You know, you might be in a place this morning where you find yourself tempted toward a different gospel. And generally, that's not just a theoretical shift that's happening in your mind. Something's going on in your life that's making you wonder, is is there a different, better gospel out there? Perhaps your trials are making you consider an easier path. Maybe your sin struggles are leaving you wondering, is there something else out there? Maybe the world's just tempting you to find satisfaction here and now, and maybe a different gospel seems like the best way forward. Church family, don't turn away from Jesus. Don't shift from the gospel. Keep walking in the faith with those who selflessly love you. Keep listening to the truth that produces spiritual blessedness in you. Keep trusting in Jesus, who alone brings you into a saving relationship with the one true God. Let's set our hope on him this morning as we pray and as we sing together. Our Father, we praise you so much for your word. And we praise you for the ways that you have brought your word to us through the personal love of your servants. 
And we thank you that in that love we see a, an embodiment of your love for us. And Father, we thank you that there is a gospel that changes us and there is a gospel that brings us out of slavery and into a saving relationship with you. We confess we're prone to wander. And we pray that you would help us to turn back from every temptation toward different gospels. And you'd help us to stay stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we received. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.